All right. Go ahead and open up your Bibles and uh, something that you can take notes with. We're going to be in John chapter 19 this morning. Um, great. John chapter 19. I'm getting there. We are continuing our series Via Dolorosa, so on Palm Sunday, instead of talking about the exciting story and palm trees, we get to talk about Jesus' suffering some more, <laughs> which is kind of a downer, but also kind of awesome, because this series has been incredible. It's been so powerful to meditate on the sufferings of Jesus, and that is what Via Dolorosa is. That's the way of suffering, the way of grief that commemorates the road that Jesus walked on the way to the cross. We've been visiting what is known as some of the stations of the cross, some of the different points that Scripture points out to us as uh, Jesus walked his way to the cross and went through the cross for us. There is something powerful about meditating on and remembering the sufferings of Jesus. Like we've been saying, something about suffering and meditating on Jesus' suffering helps us cut through some of the white noise of our life, uh, the desires of our flesh. It cuts through some of those and helps us stay focused on Him, and it helps us dive deep into intimacy with Jesus through His sufferings. We've been meditating on Isaiah 53 during our Selah time every week, and we're reminded every week. That, that Jesus is not a God who is far off, who, who doesn't know and doesn't understand our sufferings, but he was actually a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with our grief. It's not just by his resurrection we're healed, it's by his wounds we are healed. Jesus is present with us in our sufferings, and we get to be present with him as we suffer as well. This is a beautiful core element of our walk with Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit. So this morning we're continuing our journey down the road of suffering with the fifth station of the cross. This morning's message is uh, the, the fifth or a, a station of the cross. I don't know what number it is depending on what list you look at, but it's our fifth. Mary and John watch Jesus die. John chapter 19, go ahead and stand for the reading of the word of God. We're going to start in verse 16 of John 19. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. They, uh, there they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says they divided my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus where his mother were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, 
said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you and we turn our attention towards you this morning. And we thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit with us and in us and through us. And we're thankful for that. Lord, we thank you for your word that it is living and active this morning right now because of you. Lord, we thank you that your word is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. We thank you, Lord, that as we walk through the way of life and even as we walk through the ways of sufferings, that this morning our eyes would be opened by the light of the word of God, that you would shine on our path. I'm praying, God, that you would show us anywhere that we are walking in the dark, not paying attention to your beautiful word, and that we would step into this glorious light by the word of God. Teach us and shape us, encourage us, train us, perfect us, rebuke us, whatever needs to be uh, done in us this morning, come and do it by your beautiful word, Lord Jesus. But I'm praying for um, anybody in darkness this morning that they would see the light of Jesus by the word of God. As we were praying this morning as a staff, I just had this image in, in my mind of, of a dark room, but the door being open and seeing a light through the door. We've been talking over the last several weeks and a uh, couple of months about this word that God's been speaking, that the door is open. And Lord, I pray for anybody in isolation or discouragement or anything this morning that they would know the door is open, that they would see the light of the word of God, the light of Jesus Christ, and they would be able to walk out into the light by your grace and mercy this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. I have been uh, so encouraged the last several weeks hearing about some of the discussions happening in life groups. And um, it's, it's been fun to hear about the conversations happening as we're talking about the stations of the cross. I know in our life group we've had some uh, powerful, honest, uh, deep, intense, uh, some conversations and discussions in our life group. Something that I've been sharing with my life group is that I've been getting rocked by this way of suffering these last few weeks. And I think the thing that is rocking me the most as we meditate on the sufferings of Christ is that I'm beginning to understand in a new way. I'm realizing I didn't quite understand or know like I thought I did that Jesus really does understand our sufferings. Like he actually really genuinely super duper does get it. And it, it kind of sounds silly to say like, you know, I should know this already. I, I should get this. I've probably said this before, but I'm realizing that there are some dots in my own mind and heart that haven't really connected about the reality of Jesus' suffering on the cross. I'm realizing that in the past, I've heard verses about Jesus being able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, or him knowing our temptations, or I've heard comments about how Jesus understands your suffering or my suffering, and I've kind of always taken those things very generally, very broadly. Like, Jesus was tempted, so he generally understands what it's like when I'm tempted. He's sort of, he's, he's kind of in the ballpark. 
Or Jesus suffered a ton of pain on the cross. Like it was a brutal death. It hurt really bad. It was really bad suffering. So therefore, I can sort of extrapolate that out to take some comfort in the fact that since Jesus knows what it is to suffer badly, therefore he kind of has sympathy for me generally in the fact that I suffer as well. But I'm getting blown away as we are slowly stopping by these different stations of the cross at the reality that Jesus suffered way more than I thought he did and in more ways than I thought that he did. And that he therefore understands your suffering and my suffering way more than I thought he understood it. And I am thankful for that. Like last week, we talked about this, that Jesus is not at all like other gods or mythologies where gods are distant, sadistic, and just cause suffering on their subjects for their own pleasure. He is the living God, and he enters into our suffering, not just by being present in our suffering, but by actually experiencing suffering. He suffered mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, relationally. If you have ever experienced fear, pain, hatred, revilement, embarrassment, injust- injustice, abuse, discrimination, malpractice, mistreatment, unfairness, violation, wrongdoing, oppression, offense, abandonment, inequity, discouragement, disappointment, rejection, if you have ever suffered... Jesus, the king of the universe, can genuinely and deeply empathize with you in your pain. And that's rocking me. We've been seeing that we gain Christ in our sufferings, just like the word of God tells us we do. We gain Christ in our sufferings. When we suffer with Christ... We gain him. When we suffer for Christ, we gain him. And now, as Jesus gives John to Mary and gives Mary to John, we see that when we suffer with one another, we gain him. John 19, 26 and 27 says, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. We spent uh, four weeks in February on our Sunday mornings together, emptying out common words and phrases of their cultural definitions so that we might be filled with their biblical definitions in an effort to more clearly understand God's instructions to us, to more accurately respond to God's instructions to us, to more fully obey God's instructions to us so that we may more fully know God in his revelation to us. We talked about the idea of calling in the first week of February. Then we spent three weeks discussing the three theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. And we compared and contrasted. What are the understandings we pick up from ourselves or our culture? But, and, and how does that work with what the Bible teaches us? Because we want what the Bible teaches, not just what we think and feel about things. So in that same spirit that we address those things, I want to discuss this morning the thought or idea that most of us have heard and probably have said, and that phrase is simply this, I just need Jesus. You ever said, I just need Jesus? Ever thought, you're not in trouble if you did. That's, it's, I just need Jesus. I just need Jesus. 
Sometimes when we say, I just need Jesus, we say it in genuine desperation. You've been genuinely desperate. I just need Jesus. And when we say this phrase in genuine desperation, that is true. It is true and it is beautiful and it is full of faith. It is a, it is a beautiful confession. It's a full confession. But we need to be aware that oftentimes in our culture right now, this phrase, I just need Jesus, can oftentimes just be used as an excuse for a person to do whatever he wants, however he wants to do it, and still get the confirmation and affirmation of being called a Christian. I don't need to go to church. I just need Jesus. I don't need the Bible. I just need Jesus. I only need the red letters because I just need Jesus. People don't need to be convicted of their sin. People just need Jesus. We don't need to talk about perversion and injustice in the world. We just need Jesus. So as you can see, depending on the state of the heart and mind of the person saying this phrase, it can mean two very different things. Sometimes it's a desperate confession pregnant with the presence of God. Sometimes it's an arrogant and ignorant deviation from the truth. Now hear me. We need Jesus. <laughs> you just need Jesus. That's true. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. And, and the good news is that Jesus tells us how we can have him. We just need Jesus. And to just have Jesus, all we have to do is just do what Jesus says. I'll try to explain what I'm getting at this way. You've heard me say something similar to this before, but if you come up to me and you say, hey, pastor, I, lunch is coming up and I just need a $1.50 hot dog from Costco. I, I don't need much. I just need a hot dog. And somebody said, amen. amen. I, just, I, just need, I just need a Costco hot dog. And I say to you, praise God. Amen. Take a right out of the parking lot. Take your first left. And you'll be right there. It would be pretty weird if you got snappy at me and said, don't judge me, pastor. I just need a hot dog. You need to tell me where to go. Don't, don't tell me how to live my life, Pastor. I just need a hot dog. Pastor, that's kind of a narrow definition of Costco. <laughs> me and Costco are tight. Costco loves me. Costco is everything and everywhere. Walmart is Costco. Juicy seafood is Costco. I'm a little offended, and you're actually pretty controlling. This is culinary abuse and appetite oppression. I just need a Costco hot dog. <laughs> I just need Jesus is a confession that I am surrendering to Jesus, his words, and his ways. I just need Jesus is not a license to just do things the way you feel like doing them. You do just need Jesus. And Jesus has told you how you can have him. 
Number one, confess Jesus as Lord. Confess him as the Lord of your life. John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you need the way, if you need the truth, if you need the life, I am. Philippians 2, it tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord. We must confess him as the Lord of our lives. We must surrender, submit, bow, bend to the lordship of Jesus Christ. He is not just a friend. He is not just a hobby. He is not just an intrigue or a good option. Jesus is Lord. And if I want him, I must confess him as the Lord of my life. Number two, if I want Jesus, I must receive the Holy Spirit. I must receive the Holy Spirit. In John 14, Jesus says all of this, starting in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you, in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. There goes Jesus. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk, talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. You must receive the Holy Spirit if you want Jesus. You must be baptized in, filled with, covered in, immersed by, painted all over with the Holy Spirit. He is God. He is the Spirit of Jesus. He is the gift of the Father who reminds us of Jesus so that we can glorify the Father. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit if we just want Jesus. Number three, if you just want Jesus, you must participate as a member of the church. 
When you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, you are baptized into the body of Jesus, the church. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us this. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Now, you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. John 19, 18, we read, Jesus says this, I will not leave you as orphans. He doesn't say, I will not leave you as an orphan. He's not talking to one person. He's looking at his disciples. He's looking at his followers. And he's, the you is plural in all this passage that we read. He's talking to us. It's not just you. It's not just me. It's not just Judas, not Iscariot. It's not just Thomas. It's not just John and Peter. He's saying, y'all who follow me, I will not leave y'all as orphans. I will come to y'all. I will come to all of you. When, when you believe in me, you will obey me and you will, you will show me that you love me. And then my father and I, we will come to all of you and we will manifest ourselves to all of you when we make our home with all of you. This isn't an individual thing. When we love him, we obey him. And when we obey him, he sends us the Holy Spirit to dwell with us. The Holy Spirit dwelling with us is the manifestation of the Father and the Son making their home with us so that we become one like he and his Father are one. This is how Jesus both goes away from us and comes to us. Remember that confusing part? I'm going away, but I'm also coming. It's like, pick one, man. But thankfully, our triune God doesn't have to pick one. He can do both and all at the same time, fully, completely, in every way that is needed in more ways than we do understand. I'm leaving you and coming to you. If you just want me, receive me. And he is the Holy Spirit. This is exciting news. This is a good thing. This means a lot of things. One of, one of the few couple of things that it means is that when you walked in the door this morning and someone saw you and said hi to you, Jesus saw you and said hi to you and welcomed you into his house this morning. When someone shook your hand after Selah this morning, Jesus saw you and he touched you. When you hear me preaching the word of God to you this morning, Jesus is speaking into your life this morning. When you wanted to move that stanchion when you came in this morning and sit down on your own in your own row and have some space to spread out, but you saw a sign that said, welcome to church, please find a seat by somebody else. That was us shepherding you towards another person who is a member of you in the body of Christ who you are partnering with together to seek the presence of God this morning and to whom you are bound 
by the Holy Spirit when you both partake of the body and the blood of Jesus during the act of communion? What? I thought this was just church. Jesus is no longer with us in the flesh, but he has baptized us personally in the Holy Spirit and has baptized us corporately into the body of Christ that we might care for each other and build each other up. That he might manifest himself to us by him and the Father making their home in us by the Holy Spirit. You're a Christian. That's so cool. Like these phrases in the Bible, what if they're not just like anecdotes for us to use in our religious language? Oh, I got born again. All that, and I kind of had an experience. No, no, no. You got like born again. Oh, I just got baptized. It's just a you know, symbol that got, went under some water. No, 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 no. No, you, you actually got buried with Jesus. And then you actually got raised in his new life. Ah, I just went to church. No, you did not just go to church. You got together with some other people and were the home of God on earth. Jesus on the cross. Behold your son. Behold your mother. He gives us the, a particular example on the cross in John 13, 34. A particular response to his commandment. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. You have been my mother. And I have loved you as my mother. Now just as I have loved her as my mother, love her as your mother. You have been a son to me. As I have loved you as a son, love him as a son. Just as I have loved you, church, love one another. What Jesus demonstrates for us at the cross as he gives Mary to John and John to Mary, is that in our suffering, they were suffering, right? In our suffering, there is a needed measure of his strength, his comfort, his endurance, his sympathy, his empathy, his compassion, his love, his patience, his joy, his kindness, his gentleness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his patience, his encouragement, his healing, his presence. There is a measure of that that we need that he has designed and ordained for us to receive through each other. Jesus, the creator of the universe and of humanity, knows that the deepest need of humanity in suffering is presence. 
The deepest need of humanity in suffering is presence. And we see him engaging with this need and this desperation, this this suffering that he experiences on the cross when he is in agony and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I need your presence. They're all shouting at him. Just call out to God and have him take you off the cross. And he said, I, would, I, don't, I don't need to come off the cross. I need the presence of God. I need the presence of my Father. I don't need the pain to go away. I need my Father. In his pain, he's experiencing the feeling of the Father being far off. The suffering that comes when you're in the midst of pain and you think you're all alone. And nobody knows. No one is close. No one can understand. No one is there for me. As we mentioned last week, this is an invocation of Psalm 22. Jesus cries out verse 1 of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He needed the presence of his Father and his sufferings. But like we said, when... When you invoke the part of the psalm, you're invoking the whole thing. And as we look at the psalm, what we understand or what we see is that Jesus is calling out in the agony, but he also in that same psalm would have been reminded of reality. In verse 24 of Psalm 22, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried out to him. The crying out of Jesus. It is the agony, but also the memory at the same time. He is, he is making the confession, I feel so far away, but at the same time, I know that you are near. You hear me when I cry out. In his pain, he remembers the truth that God is, in fact, still so close in the suffering. God is still, in fact, so close, even when he feels so far away. God is still so close in the middle of your suffering and the pain that won't go away, that you can't overcome, that you can't get away out of, that you're not sure if he hears you, you're not sure if he sees you. Jesus shows that he remembers that God is in fact so close that with his final breath, he makes the confession into your hands. I commit my spirit. How could he commit his spirit to the hands of a God who he thinks is far away? Saying, I know, but you're close. I know you're still close. So close, you are just this breath away from me. You are, your hands are closer than the spirit that I'm giving back to you. Into your hands. I commit my spirit. Our greatest need in our suffering is presence. The presence of God the Father who is shown to us by Jesus and with us by the Holy Spirit and the presence of God through his body, the church. When your brothers and sisters are suffering, you don't need to give them your answers or God's answers. You don't need the answers of a philosopher or a theologian. You need to be the presence and embrace of a brother, of a son, a sister, a mother. 
Give your presence and give God's presence. This is what Jesus teaches us at the cross. And when you suffer, when you suffer, there is a time to weep bitterly alone outside like Peter did. But in that, be careful not to run out in isolation to the potter's field like Judas did. Come to the cross of Jesus and trust his love enough to receive from him a mother and a son through the church. At the cross, Jesus breaks the stronghold of isolation. He breaks the stronghold that isolation tries to grab you with when you suffer. My best effort, I'm going to be straightforward about some delicate things, but it's in love and because we need to know the truth, because when we know the truth, it sets us free. There is a great temptation in suffering to make your world very small. Usually for one of two reasons or maybe a little bit of both. Number one, we don't want to be a burden. Right? You don't want to be a burden. Everyone has their own stuff. Or maybe you don't want to be a burden because no one will really understand. I just need Jesus anyways. They can't even really do anything for me. Nobody can fix this for me. There isn't even a solution for this problem. You don't want to be a burden. Or the second reason, you don't really want to be vulnerable. No one can understand what I'm going through. This is so unique, nobody gets it, so I don't really feel like opening up to them. No one will understand. I can't even explain it well enough. I don't even have the word to try to tell you what's going on, and that's awkward and a waste of both of our time. No one is safe enough to trust with how sensitive I am right now. It's just going to take one wrong word. Somebody trying to be a theologian or a philosopher, right? Someone's going to try to name what it is to blame for all of this. We don't want to need anyone. It's part of it. We don't want to show that we are weak, which really might just be an outworking of not wanting to admit to ourselves that we are weak. The circumstances of your suffering are unique, absolutely, but your pain is not unknowable and not untouchable. The circumstances of your suffering are unique, but the experience of suffering is not. Both things can be true at the same time, that nobody has ever gone through exactly what you're going through, exactly the way you've gone through it. That is true. But also everybody knows what it is to go through something that nobody else has gone through the exact way they're going through it. We oftentimes feel the need or we assume the need to find someone who knows exactly what we're going through in the midst of suffering. And it's hard to open up or let anybody in until we find that person. We have to find the person who understands us at that depth because then I can trust that person. Then that person can help me. Then I can be safe. 
Finding that person as you're going through suffering, it is no doubt really nice, but it is not a necessity. Let me put it this way to try to establish the principle that I'm getting at here. When you go through really hard things, sometimes you go to see a counselor. And when you're looking for a counselor or or when you're going to that counselor, you're not necessarily going to that counselor because that counselor has been through exactly what you've been through. You're going to that counselor because that person can help you navigate what you've been through. That person isn't safe because they have been where you've been. They just know how to help you. Jesus did not give Mary a mother who knew what it was like to lose a son. He gave her another disciple who knew what it was to suffer at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not give John a friend who knew what it was like to lose a brother. He gave him another disciple who knew what it was to suffer at the foot of the cross. He gave John a mother, not a new brother. He gave Mary a younger man, not a woman who had been through what she had been through. And that doesn't negate the value of those people in our life, but what it shows us is that the deepest need that we have in our sufferings is to suffer with each other. We must let each other in. We must go to each other at the sufferings of Christ. And this is hard because going into other people's sufferings can be scary. You don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. And you for sure don't want to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. You do have your own stuff going on. You do have your own big questions in life. And at the cross of Jesus, we see that that's okay. You can still be present with somebody else in their sufferings when you have sufferings of your own. And we must go there with each other. We must reach out. We must understand that as we come to Jesus together, we're all bringing things. And we must be at the cross of Jesus, not because we just need Jesus, but we also happen to be there with each other. And part of being there with Jesus is being there with his church. We must let each other in. We must let each other in to those places says, Mary, this is who I'm giving you. John, this is who I'm giving you. They had to take Jesus at his word that this person was going to be a good friend in this sacred moment of suffering. They had to not isolate from each other because you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm trying to say. The thing that they needed to be for each other the most and receive from each other the most was simply each other. They just needed to be there together with Jesus. They came to the cross because they just needed Jesus. And at the cross, Jesus gave them each other. Jesus doesn't just know your pain or know that you're in pain. He knows your pain. Jesus doesn't just accept your wounds. He heals your wounds with his own. And Jesus hasn't forsaken you. He is with you by the Holy Spirit, and he is with you by his body. Jesus is not scared of your cross. He has one of his own too. Come.
Come. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come and confess him that he is your Lord, this suffering servant. Understand that he is the Lord of your life and he is the one acquainted with your grief. Come and confess that it is this living God who has wounds by which he heals yours. Come, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive this covenant bought with his own blood. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the Father and Son make their abode in you. Let them manifest to you by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And come to the church. Come to the people of God in your pain. Come to the people of God. As you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I just need you. Receive him when he gives you a mother. When he gives you a son. When he gives you a sister. When he gives you a friend. Receive him. stand as we wrap up our time together. Yeah, come on up, guys. I forgot to tell you when, so you could be ready for this. <laughs> My bad. We're going to have our prayer team come up and uh, just, as always, have the front open. We've got a couple minutes left, so please, uh, prayer team, come on up. If you need prayer for anything in your life, don't leave church without getting prayer. If you just need Jesus, some, you might just need somebody to pray for you. You need to confess anything before you leave the house of God this morning. Come and do it. Walk out in freedom and in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray for us as we finish our time together. Jesus, we love you. And we worship you and we honor you this morning. And we thank you for your beautiful cross. We thank you for your wounds that by which we are healed. We thank you, Lord, that you are the Lord. We thank you, God, for the outpouring and filling of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray over my brothers and sisters this morning that we would be baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the glory and the presence of the person of the Holy Spirit. I pray that we would know you and that you would manifest yourself to us. And Lord, I thank you for your church, that you have bound us together by baptism in the Holy Spirit and through water, that you have bound us in your own body and your own blood, that we might receive you even through one another. We love you and we confess you today. Amen.